Charlie Truman was only 23 when he enlisted in the forces of uh, the British military. And he was an infantryman. Well, things changed for him at about 26 years of age, I believe it. Well, a little bit younger than that. When he met the woman of his dreams and they began to court and then they got married Christmas of 1940. Joyce was her name. Charlie married Joyce on Christmas Day of 1940. And they were in love. But what was happening in 1940? World War I. And so he was, uh, sorry, World War II. Thank you. I appreciate the shaking heads. Please keep me on track today. I appreciate that. World War II was happening. And he was off uh, in battle. And as he went off serving his country in World War II, he constantly carried a picture with him of who do you guess? Joyce. Wherever he went, he had the picture of Joyce with him. Well, you fast forward and we get to this day. Does anybody recognize what happened on this day? D-Day. The landing on Normandy Beach as he was in his regiment and they were going to go ashore with the British forces. They said, all right, everybody, leave your packs behind. And so he left his pack behind, but he said, I wasn't sure if I was going to see my pack again. And so I took that picture with me. Can you imagine what his fellow comrades might have thought, what maybe his commander would have thought if they thought, this guy is thinking about going into battle and he's worried about having a picture of his wife with him. Why isn't he focusing on guns? Why isn't he focusing on the battle plan? He's worried about his wife and the picture of his wife. What is wrong with this soldier? Do I really want to go into battle with somebody like this? Does he have the right focus for a day of conflict like this? Well, it's fascinating. Uh, He says this, there was no guarantee I would get my pack back. I don't remember being scared, but I know I wanted Joyce with me. And so he put her picture over his heart. And he went off into battle. You know, last week we looked at Daniel chapter 11. And in Daniel chapter 11, the closing verses, we found this picture of a battle between the king of the south and the king of the north. And we found that the king of the south, representing a spiritual Egypt, uh, really is not spiritual at all. Representing everything contrary to and opposed to Yahweh, the true God. But then we found the king of the north comes against him like a flood. And it mimics the exodus that we find in the book of Exodus, going to the land of Egypt. And in this this force, the king of the north, these are representative powers, this Christian force comes and overflows the king of the south and defeats the king of the south. And then we found that something stirred him up and brought him back to the land of Israel. Do you remember what it was? Daniel chapter 11 and verse 44. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. News comes. Good news comes. And as he hears the good news, he's busy trying to force this godless society into the structures of religion, taking away religious liberty and forcing people in a specific direction. But news comes. Good news about the gospel of who Jesus really is. What Christianity is actually about. About a God of love who gives freedom and liberty for everyone to choose. This isn't a popular thing. A very popular speaker, uh, MacArthur, recently said that, I don't believe in religious liberty. Christians don't believe in religious liberty. That's what sends people to hell. 
religious liberty. Hmm, interesting thought, way to think of things. But the reality in the Bible is that that's king of the north thinking. King of the south thinking is godlessness. But then there's this group that sends good news. And from this good news, the king of the north is troubled. So now let's fast forward as we see the king of the north, he comes back up, he pitches his tent like the children of Israel coming out. They build a tent for the king. He pitches his tent between the seas and the glorious mountain. He's trying to interpose between the people and the truth of who God is. And then verse chapter 12 and verse 1, the final chapter of Daniel. We finally made it to Daniel chapter 12. Verse 1, at that time, Michael shall stand up the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. Michael means one who is like God, will stand up. If you look through Daniel chapter 11 in context, if you look at this word, it can be used in various ways throughout the Old Testament. But in Daniel chapter 11, each time that somebody stands up or rises up, it's a change of power. Hallelujah. We need a change of power on this planet, don't we? We need to to not have the godlessness, and we need to not have the religious coercion. What we need is a true king who rules by love, whose name is Jesus. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. You could also say who protects, who watches over, who guards, who's there for his people. Isn't that a beautiful picture of how heaven operates for his people? Now here's the thing, this verse starts off with this beautiful start, and then it goes to this, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. Let that sink in for a second, a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation? Let's just take our our own nation and, and some of the, the worst conflicts that we have been involved in, the trouble that we have seen. Take the Civil War and, and the massive bloodshed that took place as we fought with each other in the Civil War. Take World War I and the massive casualties that were experienced in World War I. Take World War II when, when things were upped a little bit and, and things were even more violent Can you imagine living in that time period and thinking, you know what? I don't know if the world could get worse. It's pretty crazy. This trouble is probably as troublesome as trouble can be. This must be what Jesus is talking about. Can't imagine what it would have been like to live in Europe, to experience bombings, to experience constant warfare. Then we have weapons that are getting bigger and bigger, the nuclear weapons. Some of you served in or at least knew well about the Vietnam War and all that took place with that, the many casualties, the trouble that we have experienced as a nation just in recent history is horrendous, isn't it? I mean, right now we watch on the news and we say, what's going on? What, is there another World War, War coming? Is this World War Three as Russia invades Ukraine and we see this madness of this back and forth? It's like Daniel 11 the, the, the chaos and strife discontinues and, and elevates more and more. <laughs> you know, it was fun at prayer meeting this past week. I, I love how every week, Lida reminds us to sing number 499, 
What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Well, this week when we were singing What a Friend We Have in Jesus, afterwards, Lauren pauses us and he says, I've had this question for a really long time, but when it says, have we trials and temptations, is there trouble anywhere? He says, is that a misprint? Or, or He didn't say it quite like that, but I'm, mis, I'm misprint, asking what he said later. But he said, is that, what kind of question is that? Shouldn't it be, there is trouble everywhere? You know, this rhetorical question, is there trouble anywhere? Yes, there's trouble absolutely everywhere. You've experienced it likely in the past week. I know my family has. Last Friday, as my mom uh, began to have severe back pain, you know, Nathan's pretty heavy to carry around. I don't know what all happened with, with her. She's got stress going on. But then as the days progressed and things got worse and worse, I'm reminded of how severe suffering can be on this planet. To watch her double over in pain for days on end. I appreciate prayers for her because she's still not out of the out of the, the pain. There's church members that I visited this week who are battling cancer. We need to keep Mira in prayer. There, there's so much trouble on this planet. So t- to read something like this, there will be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. I don't know what that begins to make you think, but sometimes we have dwelt upon this verse in such a way that it stirs up an incredible amount of fear, does it not? You know, I as we think about such as the time of trouble such as never was before since there was a nation, this sounds horrendous beyond what we can imagine. But how did it start? Michael, the one who is like God, what does he do? He stands up. There's a change in leadership. And he is what for his people? The one who stands guard or who watches over, who protects his people. That's how the verse starts. Then there's this middle part of anguish. And then watch this. Even to that time, then it goes on to say, and at that time, at that time, keep reading the verse. We spend a lot of time focused on this, but notice what it goes on to say. At that time, it's not done yet. There's another part of the verse. Look at how it goes. At that time, your people shall be delivered. Hallelujah! The point here is not that this is too hard for you. The point is that God will deliver. Ah! You know, I began to share some of this with somebody this week, and and they said, what? You're going to talk about the time of trouble? That's horrifying. And then I told them about this, and they said, how come I never heard that? I've always been afraid of this. It's always been a terrifying thing. At that time, as the time of trouble is happening, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. Well, hang on. Am I pulling too much from Daniel? Let's go to what Jesus has to say about the great tribulation. Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22. For then there will be a great tribulation. Right? So he's talking both about the dark ages, and he's also talking about a, a final uh, time of trouble like we're looking at here, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Do you see the the mirror of language here? Jesus talking about a time of trouble which is like nothing we've ever seen before in the world. And then he says, unless those days were short and no flesh would be saved, nobody's going to be able to make make it through unless those days are shortened. But we don't stop there. But... 
for the elect's sake, for God's people, those days will be shortened. God will deliver. God will step in. God will shorten the time. He will save. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. If we want to know who God is, we've got to fix our eyes on the fact that he's a savior in every time of trouble and especially in the final time of trouble. Jeremiah chapter 30, talking about the same time of trouble. Alas, for that day is great so that none is like it and it is the time of Jacob's trouble. Gives us this picture that the time of trouble is going to be like Jacob as he's coming back and he's meeting Esau. And here, here Esau is coming to crush him, and he's not a military man. He's facing this incredible conflict, and he goes to pray the night before. And in that night, suddenly a, a, a person touches him, and he begins to wrestle with this person that he thinks an enemy, until finally that person displays miraculous power, and then he's clinging to him and saying, I won't let you go unless you bless me. This picture of of Jacob who was grappling with the fact that he deserved to be crushed by Esau. He deceived as he was grappling with this, this time of Jacob's trouble. The day is great. There is none like it. You see the parallels with Daniel chapter 12. But, but he shall be saved out of it. I don't know about you, but... For some reason, I miss this most of my life. The time of trouble is about God's ability to save, not about my ability to stand. Time and time again throughout the Bible, the emphasis is on the fact that God will save in the time of trouble. It's good news, friends. There's good news that comes from the East that is not something that the king of the North wants to hear. And we've got to be sharers of good news, the gospel. This time of trouble in Jeremiah 30 is, goes on to describe what takes place in the, the following verses. It says that he will break his yoke during this time of trouble. He will burst your bonds. He's going to set you free through this. He will, you will be enslaved no more. Do not fear, nor be dismayed. I will save you from captivity. You will no longer be afraid, for I am with you to save you. Does that sound like good news? Can you get excited about what God is going to do in the end? God is awesome. So often we get worried because we realize that we are weak and frail. What we need to do is to fix our eyes on Jesus, who wants to save. For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. You know, that reminds me of Psalm chapter 91, which gives these incredible promises about what God wants to do in our lives. And he says this, I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. You know, you look up that word trouble in the Old Testament, and this specific word that's used in Daniel 12, used here in Psalm 91, It's used 71 times in the Old Testament. And I went through them and the vast majority are talking about that God saves from trouble. God is the one who steps in in the midst of our trouble and rescues us time and time again. That is the emphasis. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. Who is the he in this verse? Because he holds fast to me 
in love. He's hanging on to me in love like Jacob who's hanging on to that angel who says, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's what the time of trouble, God is looking for a people who will just hang on to him and his ability to save to the uttermost. I will deliver him. I will protect him because, notice what it says, he knows my name. He's clinging to him in love and he knows my Name, my character. Jacob's name was changed from supplanter or deceiver to one who wrestles with God because of this time of Jacob's trouble. But the one who knows the character of God, the name of God that represents his character, he will be protected in the end. And this only makes sense when you look at the broader scope of the book of Daniel. Just think about who this vision is being given to. It's being given to Daniel, who at maybe 18 years of age, his city is ransacked. The temple goods are taken out of the temple. The the holy implements are taken by the Babylonians and taken back to the house of the god of uh, Marduk and these gods that misrepresent what God is like. You think about what Daniel went through in being marched across the desert. And in Daniel chapter 1, he encounters trouble in the king's court because he's got food to eat that has been sacrificed to these heathen deities. And to eat it is to partake in their character. And Daniel is delivered from trouble in Daniel chapter 1. How about Daniel chapter 2? In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, this tyrant, has a dream from God. And all the wise men are ordered to be killed because nobody can interpret the dream. But God delivers Daniel from trouble. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel's three friends, they face a statue that they have to worship and they won't bow down. And so they're cast into a fiery furnace and God is with them in trouble. The Son of Man shows up in the fire. Daniel chapter 4, you have Nebuchadnezzar who is a tyrant of a king who is saying, is this not great Babylon which I have built for the glory of my majesty who is humbled through a time of trouble and who is brought to salvation by a God who's willing to do anything to reach him. Daniel chapter 5, you have another king who is causing trouble because he's now mistreating the Jews, and you can go back to our sermon on Daniel chapter 5 to look at how he wasn't letting them go free, to look at why God set them free. But in Daniel chapter 5, God shows up and writes on the wall. And he delivers God's people from this trouble of an oppressive leader. And there's a transition in power. But then, under the Medes and the Persians in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is thrown into a lion's den because he won't stop praying. And God delivers Daniel from trouble. Hallelujah! It's the whole theme of the book of Daniel. God saves in trouble. God will be with you in trouble. And yet so often we're fixated on the fact that this trouble is going to be worse than any we've ever seen before. And so how do we prepare for this? What are we going to do? Which, where, where am I going to hide? Where, wh- how am I going to handle this? I better start buying food. I better start stockpiling things. I better build a bigger house. Maybe I better build a bunker. Maybe, maybe it'll be a nuclear disaster. What am I going to do? Friends, look higher. Look to Jesus. He will save. Hallelujah. And there will be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people will be delivered. Everyone, this is key. Everyone, everyone in general? 
So there is a caveat here. He's willing to save. He's able to save to the uttermost. He's not willing, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, that anyone should be lost. Everyone who is found written in the book. Uh, so we, we got to figure this out, don't we? I want to be written in that book. I want to make sure that I'm a part of that, that, that God's coming to save. So the key is to know that my name is written in the book. And we can look throughout the Bible. We find Jesus telling his own disciples when they've come back and they're rejoicing that demons have been cast out in the name of Jesus through their ministry. He says, don't rejoice about that, but rejoice that your names are recorded in the books in heaven. But let's look at one verse that clearly parallels this as it talks about uh, in the, the, the following verses, it talks about this end time experience. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. It's a picture of community, right? Those who have an awe, a reverence, they're in awe of who God is. They speak to one another. They're talking with one another. This fellowship is vital. And the Lord listened and heard them, so a book of remembrance was written before him. This book is, is written before him as these people are talking together. And, and, and what is this that they're talking about? For those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Who's going to be in that book? We could look at Revelation and we see that, that those who are sheltered on Mount Zion from this final end time, king of the north power, Babylon power, they are those who follow the Lamb wherever He goes and His name is written in their foreheads. Here you have a people who fear the Lord and who meditate on His name. They're constantly thinking about what is the character of God like? Who is this God? How does he act in history? What does the Bible reveal to me? These are people who are talking back and forth about God's character. For those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Then notice what it says. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. I'm going to spare people in this day, those who are appreciating and meditating upon my character, who take their Bibles and who are, who are constantly diving in and saying, hey, this is incredible. This is what a God of love looks like, who are sharing that, speaking to one another about this, who are, who are joining groups maybe like in Acts from house to house, meeting together and talking about the goodness of God as revealed in all the Bible. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. You know, this past Tuesday was pretty, pretty crazy for Leah and I. Actually, maybe I should start on Monday because I'm not sure when the craziness started, when the trouble began to happen. But during the night, we pray for our kids to sleep and some nights it just doesn't happen. <laughs> no matter if you follow the guidelines in the books that tell you how to get them to sleep, some nights the kids wake up in the middle of the night and you're grappling with what to do. And this night, it wasn't just, we're thankful when it's just Nathan or it's just the girls that have a little bit of a struggle during the night. But literally, by the morning, Leah's like, wait, so what happened last night? <laughs> 
we were awake pretty much every hour with either Nathan in his room or the girls in their room back and forth. And I was in there for a few, for an hour with Nathan, I think. And then with, I don't even remember it all. It's all a blur. And then as the morning progresses, it's Tuesday morning. And that's Leah's morning to go and, and, and meet with the, the moms for the mom small group. Another great small group that's happening where they're focusing on that same study guide, Surprised by Love, or that, that book. They're focusing on the name of God, the character of God. Well, as we're preparing to get ready to go, um, if you've had toddlers before, you know what can happen when you're ready to go somewhere. If you've had a baby before, everything broke loose, and it was a crazy morning, to say the least, to where Leah said as she drove in, she, she went in, and I mean, there's everything from she ended up with the keys that I needed to drive my car, so she had to drive all the way back. She was driving my mom to get her MRI. She was driving. Uh, it was a crazy morning. I'll just put it that way. It was a time of trouble for the Page family. <laughs> And she walks into the Sabbath school room and she says, my morning has been crazy. And one of the other moms says, you know, I wasn't going to say anything. I was going to try to be positive today, but my morning has been crazy too. We need fellowship where we talk with one another and we're real and we're open. This is not church alone, I should say. This is not the only way that we practice church. Fellowship needs to happen where we're sharing with each other. That can happen in Sabbath school. That can happen in small groups and Bible studies. It can happen over each other's kitchen tables. But we've got to be sharing with one another in small groups, getting to share about who God is. For those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name, that group is focused on God's love. Our women's group is focused on God's love. On Wednesdays, we're focusing on how God is loved throughout the Bible. We're focusing on God's character in the study on Thursday nights as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. These things are changing lives. So I want to invite you, if, if you want that experience and one of those times doesn't work for you, talk with me and, and we'll find a way to start another group to have an opportunity. If you need the help, please let me know and I'd love to help with that. We want to be a part of those who are meditating on God's name and focusing on talking together about it because that is what will transform us as we fix our eyes on Jesus. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. When we know his character, we'll run to him. We'll no longer be holding anything back and we'll run to our righteous God, and we will be safe in his character. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 119 says it this way, know and believe the love that God has to us and you are secure. That love is a fortress impregnable to all the delusions. Hang on, hang on. But, but you didn't talk about, that love is a fortress impregnable to all the delusions and assaults of Satan. Page 115 says it this way, Satan is working by every deception he could command in order that we may not discern that love. The problem is that God wants to, to, to point us to his loving character, but Satan is working to distract us in every possible way. <laughs> On Wednesday night, you remember in that prayer meeting, we were talking about trouble early on and how there is trouble everywhere. Well, I had to leave that study early because, you know, God experientially prepares 
uh, you to teach people or to go through the Word of God. He, and so if this doesn't mean anything to you, it's what I needed this week. Because <laughs> before prayer meeting is over, I'm getting a text message that, hey, Lee is saying, I need to be able to get on a call with a doctor with, with your mom, and the kids are not cooperating in bedtime like they pretty much do most every night. It was a crazy week. And so I had to leave prayer meeting early. And I remember going into the girls' room and just laying there between their beds, stretched out to hold their hands. And Leah had playing this track that she plays for them. There's four albums. It's called Hidden in My Heart, Scripture Lullabies. Hidden in My Heart, Scripture Lullabies. And as I heard those promises of God, as I heard this, this beautiful music talking about the goodness of God, talking about what His character is like, you could just feel the level of stress and anxiety melting away. And I don't know what your week has been like, but I'm confident that you're going to need that. If you didn't need it this past week, you may need it this coming week, or you'll need it by the end of the year. We've got to stay focused on God's loving character, because Satan's trying to distract us from this by a myriad of cares, concerns, distractions, delusions, and a whole bunch of things that really don't matter. Isaiah 59 gives us an important picture. If we're talking about focusing on God's love, we're talking about focusing on His character, we're talking about seeing God for who He really is. In the time of trouble, in order for our names to be written in that book, to meditate upon God's name, well, what keeps us from that? We talk about cares and trials in life. There's something else Isaiah 59 verse 2 reveals to us. It says, Your sins have hidden His face from you. You see, when, when I choose to willfully go in the opposite direction of what Jesus wants, and, and I choose to, to completely ignore his voice, I experience what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. God came walking in the cool of the day. Where are my friends, Adam and Eve? And they're, they're covering themselves with fig leaves. They're running to hide behind bushes and trees. They're trying to stay away from the God who's come to give them the first gospel promise that he's going to save them from what they just did. So you see, sin creates this barrier between me and God. Sin is an enemy that I need to let Jesus deal with. And this is why as we come to this great time of trouble, it's important for us to openly admit, to openly confess, to say, God, search my heart, and I want to be in line with your reality of self-sacrificing love, in line with your law of love, and anything that is opposed to that. In my marriage, with my kids, anything in my life, every part of my life, would you take that away from me? And confess and admit and repent and allow him to take care. It's important that, that we do this in order to be able to see his face more and more clearly. There was a king by the name of Saul who started off in the right direction, but he willfully rejected God's voice to the place where he became a persecuting power. John chapter 16 tells us that in the end, we're going to be, followers of Christ will be put to death by those who think that they are doing God's will. And they do this, he says, because they don't know God. They don't actually know what he's like. They don't actually know his character. They think they're doing God's service. Well, King Saul eventually became a persecutor, specifically to a man named David. David, who was anointed by God to be the next king of Israel, and he's going to do whatever it took to preserve 
his stuff, his kingdom, his way. He's watching out for number one, King Saul. Self-preservation is his rule of operation, and he tries to pin David to the wall. And then he chases David for years in the wilderness. And David knew what it was like to go through a time of trouble with people persecuting you, didn't he? He knew what it was like to run to the mountains, to hide in the caves when somebody's trying to kill you, didn't he? And, and David, if anybody should understand how to handle a time of trouble, I think David would be a good example. How about you? And watch this. Psalm chapter 27. He tells us to have confidence in trouble. Psalm 27, a psalm of David. He's praying this. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. The strength of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? Who should I be afraid of? David says, well, maybe King Saul. He's chasing you everywhere. He says, no, God is my light. God is my salvation. He is my strength. He says, my enemies... They stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, though World War III may be breaking out, and I'm trying to parse this out and figure everything out and get all the details right, though all this may be going on, in this I will be confident in what? One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek. How many things? How many things should we be seeking? One thing will I seek of the Lord that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David says, the one thing I need is to be able to behold how beautiful God is. I need to be having greater attraction for God. I need to see that there's no darkness in him, that he is so incredibly beautiful. And then he says this, For in the time of trouble. When? In the time of trouble. The guy who hid in caves, who ran to the mountains, who knew what it was like to be pursued by those persecuting him. He shall hide me in his pavilion in the time of trouble. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. And he shall set me high upon a rock. He will set me in a firm place. I will not be moved. I will be settled into the reality of who God is and his righteous character. Testimonies for the church, volume 5 says it this way, the deep love of God alone will sustain the soul amid the trials which are just upon us. Friends, there's a whole lot of things that we focus on. There's a whole lot of things that we worry about. There's a whole lot of times where you hear, oh, you've really got to know about this issue. You've got to know about this event that is going on. This will change the world over here. No, what will change the world is good news about the love of God. What will see you through the end is the love of God, the character of God, meditating upon his name. This is what will enable your name to be written in that book, and he will come to deliver you. Because here's the thing about love. Love suffers long, and love endures all things. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love never fails. Love is the one thing. Don't let anybody lie to you. I hear this lie far too frequently. And, and these are actually some of the hardest messages to preach because people will come and say, you talk about the love of God too much. Uh, I don't know what else to talk about. What else is the Bible about? God is love. 
The deep love of God alone will sustain the soul amid the trials which are just upon us. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, this will see us through in the time of trouble. So what about, what about Charlie Truman? As he headed off into fire, worried about his picture, rather than worried about his gun, rather than worried about the battle plan, he's worried about making sure that he's got his picture with him of his wife, Joyce. This is his, his, his whole focus. Well, he had stayed recently with somebody, and as he's headed into battle, he's got this picture with him. He had stayed with somebody recently who had given him a case for his picture. All right, so it gets even worse. He's not just having a little paper picture in his pocket. He's got a silver, uh, a silver uh, photo frame around the picture of his wife in his pocket. He's going to run slower. He's not going to have what it takes. He's too obsessed with the character of God. Doesn't he know about the battle plans he needs to be thinking about? Doesn't he know that he needs to be able to run faster in the time of trouble? Well, as he charged into machine gun fire, one of the first regiments of the British Army to do so, as they're charging into machine gun fire, a bullet struck that frame. It was over his heart. And in Charlie's own words, who, this was Charlie at 91 years old, I think this picture was taken in 2009, something like that, holding that picture frame. It was only much later when I recovered that I saw the damage to the picture and realized I'd be dead if I hadn't been carrying it. The bullet hit the corner of the silver frame and deflected through the arm of my tunic. The doctors told me later that it definitely saved my life. Charlie, who had the picture of the one he loved in his heart, was saved from a bullet by that very picture. And then as he's in the hospital, he'd also had a bullet that went into one of his lungs, punctured a lung. He's taken to the hospital. His wife is given a telegram saying, Charlie's not going to make it. And she's five months pregnant. So she's going to try to see him in the hospital. And as she's headed to see him, they finally give up. And they take off the life support from Charlie. And Charlie reports, he said, you know what I was thinking about? My unborn baby in my wife's belly. And he shouldn't have lived. But he did. Because love endures all things. Love never fails. This is Charlie, 91 years old. He went on to live 61 happy years of marriage with Joyce. But it's a simple illustration of the fact that love is enough. That meditating on God's character will see you through. That he's the one that saves in the time of trouble. And if I think I can do it, I'm in the biggest heap of trouble possible. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple this is what I need. To meditate upon his name and to talk with others about what this looks like and to confess anything in my life that is ugly in comparison to that beauty. It's the deep love of God alone that will sustain the soul amid the trials which are just upon us. Things aren't going to get better. We're approaching the end. We don't know how long that is, but I can guarantee that whether you experience this great time of trouble, which the world has never seen, you're going to experience trouble. Or maybe you're experiencing it this morning. And if you're wondering how to make it through, start with meditating upon his word. Meditating upon his love is revealed in scripture.
And then start talking with as many people about it as possible. Say, did you know how good this God is? Did you know what he's like? Perfect love will cast out all fear from your heart. And love will endure. Invites you to, to join a small group in our church or to start one up. We'd love to help you start one if you need help with it. The more that we talk together about the loving character of God, our lives will be steadfast and sure. Daniel 11.32, we've looked at several times. It says, those who know their God will be strong and carry out great exploits. We want to know who our God is. We'd like to to conclude our, our time together by singing that chorus that we started out with at the beginning. That prayer, oh, to know God more. Our desire, our heart desire to know him more. Let's pray together. God, that is the cry of our heart. To know you more, would you please lead us on a journey that expands every day? Would you help us if we think that we already know enough about you and that that we have it all together? Would you please help us to see that there is more beauty to behold in the face of Jesus? And Father, If we're not currently talking with others about this, would you open up opportunities? Would you help conversations to start? Would you lead us to the right small group that we can share with others about what your incredible love is like? And Father, would you lead us to confess the ugliness in our hearts, the the things that are beastly in us and the way that we treat the people around us? Would you lead us to renounce that stuff and to ask you to take care of it in our lives because we're helpless. And Father, would you give us a steadfast confidence that you are the one who steps in to save at that time. That you are the God who will deliver, who will save, who will rescue, who will shelter. That you are everything that we need in the coming time of trouble, whether it's this week, whether it's today, whether it's next month, whenever it may be that we are steadfast in our assurance of your love for us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.